Hello, and welcome back to the Hairstylist Rising podcast. I am so excited to be here with my dear friend, Casey Taylor, who is a salon owner and hairstylist, bridal specialist, and educator for small town stylists who are looking to have massive success and build huge brands. Casey has been on the show before and we've talked about how your zip code does not need to define the level of success. And since that last recording, I have seen Casey help so many more stylists really reach that level, regardless of the size of the population of the town that they live in. And I'm just so excited to have you back today. We're going to be talking all about pricing. We're going to touch on pricing in small towns. We're going to talk about pricing during times of economic uncertainty and really dig into what that looks like regardless of where it is that you live. So whether you are a stylist in a small town, whether you are a stylist in a big city who is just looking to really understand whether or not you should be raising your prices, what that looks like in the time that we're living in and all of the things, you are not going to want to miss this episode. You're listening to the Hairstylist Rising podcast. Here, we talk about creating a career you love. We go deep into mindset, marketing, business, and life as a hairstylist. I'm your host, Jody Brown, a hairstylist veteran turned branding and marketing mentor for ambitious, inspired beauty pros like you. On this podcast, we share the real stories of leaders within the beauty industry and actionable trainings that leave you with the tools and guidance that will inspire you to build your best life as a hairstylist. From branding, business, and marketing to mindset, life, and finding fulfillment, no topic is off limits here. Get ready to be educated and inspired. This is the Hairstylist Rising Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Casey, I'm so excited. Thank you so much for having me, Jody. I always love being on your podcast. It's like one of my favorites to listen to, and you're always just like one of my favorite people to chat with. We have gotten to work together so closely this year. We actually met in a mastermind years ago, I think in 2020. And then since then, we have been able to meet in person a couple times. We have, you were at our Italy retreat. We have been able to really focus in on what is going on in the industry. And because you were so in it, I love that you can take your knowledge from a small town and you are really just one of the freshest voices in this industry. So I'm really excited that you're here to share your wisdom because you are someone who is very much like in the trenches. You walk the walk as well as talk the talk. You are running a business in a small town. You have helped a ton of small town stylists to build successful businesses. Before we get into what we're going to talk about today, for anyone who might not have listened to your last appearance on the show, would you mind just giving us a little bit of an intro of how you got into the industry, how you started educating, and what your business looks like today? Yeah, so I have been in the industry for... I think 10 years now, which is absolutely crazy to say. Mm -hmm. And whenever I decided to go to cosmetology school, everybody thought I was absolutely crazy and that I was throwing my life away by not going to college. But I knew that I just really enjoyed doing hair. And so I went to our local cosmetology school. And by local, it was still like a solid two towns over or maybe even (laughs) three. And it was in a town that was even smaller than mine. And it was quite a rough experience. I'm not going to lie. I feel like I always tell people, if you can survive cosmetology school, you can survive anything. 
But (laughs) it was a really interesting journey because it gave me a lot of perspective about how some people view the beauty industry, especially from being in a very small town cosmetology school. And I thought at the time, if I want to be successful, I need to move to the city and I'll work at some big salon and I can assist someone. And that's how I'm going to really like break into the industry and find success. But unfortunately, that just did not work out. I found myself back in my hometown working and everything that my cosmetology school instructor said about how small towns were so overcrowded with stylists and salons. I really thought that this was it. I was just going to prove everyone right who thought that this was like the failure for me. And I discovered that the opposite was true. And I was able to like really create all of the things that I had admired about those big city high-end salons within my small town. So I now have my own salon. It's nothing crazy, but it's a four-chair salon and I absolutely love it. I get to work with some of the best stylists in the area and we really focus on bringing luxury services to our small town. I love that. And one of the things that always amazes me is when it comes to your story and what you've been able to create is you were really working against probably some of the worst advice that anyone has gotten going into their career. What is that that your beauty school teacher told you? Wasn't it that it was something so wild? Can you just refresh my memory on that? Because I remember having this conversation. You were like, yeah, my beauty school teacher literally said this to me. And I was like, and then you went on to do all this amazing stuff. Like, how did you? Tell me what it was they said. And then also I'd love to hear where did you find that like mental fortitude to start implementing these changes, even though you had just been told from the jump that what you wanted to do was basically impossible. Yeah, we could spend this entire episode just listing off the crazy things that my instructor (laughs) said to me while I was in school. Um, She said we would never make any money if we claimed all of our cash on our taxes. And she even told us how she was like hiding money. Please know the IRS is my biggest fear. I'm very honest on my taxes. Please do the same for yourself. For so many, not just the legal ones, but she also said we would just never be successful if we stayed in a small town. She said we would never be able to build a clientele, um, that small town clients wouldn't want to pay us as much for our services. It was just all of this crazy advice and misconceptions that she had about the beauty industry from her own experience. And I think it's important to note that whenever people give us advice, that it's only from their own experience because that's all they have to pull from. Yeah. And from her perspective, that's what she really thought. And maybe that was her experience as a stylist in a small town. But I think that Sometimes our own experiences don't have to be true for everyone. Mm. Whenever I found myself in my small town, I was very disappointed. And I also have this problem where if somebody tells me I can't do something, I automatically feel like I have to do it. Um, and I, <laughs> I just think that I was like so determined with, especially with the comments from my parents, even about, they were just so disappointed that I was not going to college. And they're like, hair will be a really good thing you can do while go to school and get your degree. That'll be a good like side job while you're getting your real job. So Um, I think it just really was one of those things that I kept telling them, no, this is my career. This is what I want to do. And as much as it's almost probably a toxic trait of mine to then want to focus all of my energy on proving people wrong. I do think it was one of the things that pushed me into 
focusing on finding ways to be more successful in my small town and really create Mm -hmm. that kind of vision of success, regardless of where I was located, because that was the one thing that I didn't really have the flexibility to change at the time. I love that. And one of the things that I'll just share, and I think we talked about this on the last episode, but one of the things that like attracted me to you and made me want to find out more about you, even in the very beginning, is one of the way that you approached your email marketing in your business. Like I remember finding your page when you were still talking predominantly to clients and you had created this whole experience around your email newsletter, which I thought was just so brilliant and something that a a lot of the most incredible, huge, big city salons don't even do. And so I feel like you, you really became innovative in the way that you approached your growth in your small town. So if you are listening and you want to learn more about that, because we are going to get into talking about pricing and all of the things as promised, but definitely go check out Casey's last appearance on the show. I'm going to link that in the show notes because we talk all about how to, on a broader scale, how to be successful in your small town and tangible ways that you can actually grow your business. So I definitely recommend listening to that episode. It is brilliant. And the advice that you have in there literally will stand the test of time. So even if you're listening to this five years down the road, go check out that episode. That is like foundational knowledge that will serve you in your career, regardless of when you listen to it. All right, let's talk about the elephant in the room, shall we? (laughs) I think there's a lot of talk about this. And I know there is. There's a lot of talk in our industry and just in the world at large about the way that things are. There's two different conversations we need to have here. One is the conversation of small town pricing and how that differs from being in a larger city. But first, let's talk about the reactive pricing, because I I see a lot of people worrying about this in hairstylist Facebook groups, like I'm undercharging, but how am I supposed to raise my prices? I've even seen some people posting things like, and this is this kind of stabs me in the soul a little bit every time I see it, but I've seen I'm not raising my prices, even though things are increasing in my industry. I have, I know that times are tough right now, so I'm not raising my prices. And then I've also seen a real over explanation of stylists when it comes to posting on our public facing channels. My foils have gone up. The color has gone up. Like all of these things have gone up. And this is why I need to raise my pricing. And approaching it from an extremely apologetic stance. And I think this is because of all of the conversations right now going on regarding inflation and economic uncertainty, all of those different things. So I would love to get your take on that in terms of if you are someone, let's talk about both angles. If you're someone who is undercharging right now, like you are not making the profit you need to be making to sustain your business. And then also maybe demand-based price increases in our current economic climate. Yeah, I feel like there are so many conversations online about pricing. And it's really interesting having the perspective of the beauty industry because you can see how we all approach it a little bit differently. And I noticed that there are a lot of stylists who are either, like you said, taking it as like a badge of honor of I'm not going to raise my prices right now because I know that times are tough and I want to help out my clients. But at the same time, I think there's a lack of awareness of what their finances are truly within their business. 
And then there are the stylists constantly posting like their receipt from the pro store. And they're like, I only got eight tubes of color and it was however much money. And I think what gets lost in translation is that our clients don't have that same perspective on our prices. We aren't looking, if I were to go to the store right now and I'm looking to buy, I don't know, let's say like a new sweater. I'm not asking how much was the yarn to make the sweater. Yes. I'm not asking the store, hey, what is your electric bill here to keep the store running? I don't look for those behind the scenes information. I just look at, hey, this is the price of this sweater. And maybe I notice, yeah, this is a really nice store when I walk into it. And I notice like how attentive like the customer service is and the quality of the product and stuff. But I'm not asking them how much each of those things cost. So for sure, I think we need to really rethink Mm -hmm. how we're communicating our prices to our clients and not feel like we have to constantly apologize about them or explain why things are a certain way because our clients have common sense. They understand that inflation is affecting every single industry everywhere. And it's not just us. Yeah. And I think too, like from a client perspective and just from a, a communication perspective, if you're approaching something as a apologetically, then it really does convey that you don't have the confidence in the decision. And I think that having the confidence in the decision and treating your business like a business, like I do believe that because our businesses are so personal in the beauty industry, it's a lot more difficult to separate, but it's vital. Like you have to separate because sometimes I think that stylists get in their heads, especially if you haven't gotten really intentional with understanding your finances and your margins and all that kind of stuff. It can almost feel like I'm take like this is money that's going in my pocket, whereas it's obviously not. Like you have all of these expenses are part of the cost of doing business. And like you said, even when you go into, say, like Target, you're not looking at, oh, I wonder how much Target paid Nike for this pair of runners. You know what I mean? We're not thinking about the wholesale cost. It's just the overall price. And so if you are not like if you're breaking it down too much, like it's a you're making your clients work too hard. They just want to book in and get their hair done and have a great experience. It is not their job to understand. Just to be blunt, it's not their job to understand our finances. It just isn't, right? Just in the same way, it's not our job to understand the wholesale costs and and how much it costs to rent out the space and pay all the employees at Target. It seems very interesting to me. And it's. It, I think it's almost because maybe... And I just thought of this. Maybe it's because we're educating, we're getting education, and we're also marketing on the same platform a lot of the time, right? So as stylists, we're following other stylists or educators or whatever. And so then we're going on to have conversations on our social media, which is meant to be a marketing platform that have nothing to do with our clients. Yeah. And and I think that's a very important point because... As stylists, when we're following other educators, certain things that they're posting are not necessarily the same things that we need to be posting when we're speaking to our clients. I actually made a post the other day about how natural hair color is the new balayage. And I've noticed in a lot of the trend forecast on TikTok and also just clients within my chair, people are really looking for more 
of that like dirty blonde and dark blonde hair. They're calling it like old money blonde or old money brunette, whatever, expensive brunette. And I really broke down like similarities to how like ombre was born out of the crash of 08 and how stylists have been like adapting and changing to all of that. But breaking down all of those things within that post doesn't mean that you also want to be saying like, hey, by the way, I know that the economy is hard. This is the new ombre. Here's your new like solution, whatever. We want to be promoting our services as a luxury and not necessarily like marketing them as this is how I'm going to navigate in my business to our clients because that's not their responsibility to even be thinking about that. It's also not something they want to be thinking about. So I feel like if you're talking about that a lot online, it makes them like not want to pay attention to your post anymore because it's like a weight on their shoulders. Agreed. And so I think there's different ways that you can approach it in terms of where we're at right now. What are your thoughts on doing price increases? Let's just like the blunt answer. Yeah. So price increases, I would say that if your business is due for a price increase, regardless of the state of the economy or anything else, if your business is due for an increase, it's due for an increase. And the question really is, can your business sustain an increase? And the the sustainability of that increase is really going to have to do with the strength of your business and nothing to do with outside factors. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And another point, too, that I just want to throw in here is can your business sustain not doing an increase? Because when I see a lot of these like posts about I'm not doing any increases or anything like that, I'm like, that's great. But I hope that a year from now, you're not then all of a sudden having to get really reactive because you actually didn't have the luxury to absorb these increases that you thought you did. I think regardless of whether you want to do, would you agree that the first step is actually understanding where you're at? And like, how do you determine whether you are due for an increase or whether you can sustain not increasing for a little bit longer? Yeah. And I think like, Your numbers in your business are a very nuanced topic, but really understanding what money is coming in, what money is going out, and also are there areas where you might have some extra spending that's unnecessary? Are you buying all the cute, colorful foils from Framar? I love them. They're fun. But how much is that affecting your bottom line when you add up all of the different boxes of foils that you spent the extra money on? or the extra color brushes that you bought, or all these other extra things that we're spending money on. Sometimes there are things that we invest in that are a thousand percent worth the investment. And then there's sometimes Mm -hmm. we buy things that, hey, maybe I really didn't need that right now, but it felt like a fun thing to do. I feel like that's a big hazard when you love your career. It's easy to get caught up in like the extra things because you're having so much fun doing it. But understanding your finances will help you like determine, can I sustain not doing this? And then also looking at other things beyond your finances, such as like your marketing tactics. Are you staying consistent with your marketing? Are you staying consistent with your client experience? Are you able to maintain your client retention? Yeah. All of those things are also going to be like major factors in your bottom line. It's way harder to attract new clients than it is to maintain a client that's already been with you. And so if you are 
losing existing clients, regardless of how many new clients are coming in, you could actually be losing money by not just maintaining the clients that you already have. So I think there are like a lot of different factors to consider when you're looking at, are you ready for an increase? And there are also like different levels of readiness in my perspective as well, because you can have a certain level of strength to maintain a maintenance increase. But Mm -hmm. as you go into a higher level of increase, depending on what your business needs are, you need to have a stronger business to support a stronger increase as well. Yeah. No, I love that. And I think that's what I love so much about how you teach pricing is that you it's not just like a, I, I think sometimes there's a lot of, there's a lot of conversation in the industry about how just raise your prices, just raise your prices. That's, that's all you need to do without taking into consideration all of the nuances. And I think it's like part of this, which I'm so glad the conversation went this way, like part of this is about the communication. It's about, like you said, the strength of your business, the strength of your brand. And then a lot of it also is understanding. Like when I was working with one-on-one coaching with the stylist, like back four years ago, I noticed that a lot of the time, certain services, you're doing great. Other services, you're actually losing money and because they are costing you more. And oftentimes it's the high-end services that we charge the most for that we're actually not profiting on due to the amount of time and the amount of product and all of that kind of stuff. So I do think, like you said, that having that really solid understanding of your business and the nuances of your numbers is going to be step one, regardless of the time. And I think you posted something the other day about how you can take more risks in times of economic strength. And maybe, so can you maybe expand on that a little bit? Because I thought that was a really interesting way of phrasing the approach to like pricing, price increases and all of that kind of stuff during times where there is a lot of fear in spending money. Yeah. So like when our economic ecosystem is so Mm -hmm. strong, it's easy to see a lot of people talking online about how I doubled my prices and you should too. And you can be a little bit riskier with your choices. It's just like whenever we invest in the stock market, there are like riskier choices. And there are also some choices that maybe we want to be a little bit more strategic about them. And so I do think that there are times in your business where you can be a little riskier for the growth. And with those risks, it's a little bit harder amount of work that you have to put in to pull it off, but doesn't mean that it can't be pulled off. And you have more wiggle room to also recover if something doesn't go 100% as like you had intended it to. Whenever we notice more stress in our economy, that's whenever we need to like kind of dial down the risk factor a little bit. Doesn't mean that we can't take risks and it doesn't mean that we can't continue to grow our businesses because I absolutely believe that growth can still happen and should be happening within your business. But we need to make sure that we are focusing on the strength of our business and being more strategic about moving forward with our plans and our goals um, so that we're being smart. That's what right. any economist would do as well whenever you're investing in the stock market or any kind of any business in any kind of industry. I love that. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about how this is applicable within, because I think that you and I've worked in a small town. I've run a business in a small town. You currently do. So 
let's talk about how this applies if you are in a smaller market, because this is the thing. And I'm just going to say the thing that I, I see a lot of people talking about. And that is if I have a smaller market. So, for example, if I'm in a small town with 6,000 people, there's a lot less people to pull from. So, therefore, I can't charge as much. Or I, the median income, I know this is something a lot of people say, like the income in my small town is lower. So, therefore, I can't charge as much. Or some people will say, my rent is less. So, I don't have to charge as much. Let's dive into that a little bit because I know that you have a very different take on this. And what do you say in these conversations? What has been your experience here? Yeah. So I would start off by saying, first of all, I know you've already clarified that I am in a small town. So I say this is somebody who has experienced the small town life. And I know everybody's definition of a small town is different, right. but I am in a town of 6,000 people. And I have noticed that there are actually a lot of advantages to being in a small town that you don't actually have when you're in a bigger city. Right. So when you think about median income, median is not necessarily the average. It's actually like the middle. And so right. they take all of the incomes of everybody of where you live and they divide it down the middle. And that's the number where they get median income. It's a very reliable source for looking at statistics on your area. But whenever it comes to your pricing, that means that literally half of the people where you live make above that amount. Right. So half the people make above, half the people make below. Right. In a town of 6,000 people, I am doing such a small percentage of the population as a client. I can't right. do everybody's hair. And so it's crazy to think I have to cater to everybody in the middle. You can cater to people on the higher end of that if you want to yeah. cater to people on the higher end, especially if that's where you want your business to go. Mm -hmm. And there are people of all income levels who want services. And I also believe that median income doesn't dictate how somebody chooses to prioritize their finances. So I have some clients who are considered low income. They're single moms. And definitely from the outside looking in, if you were just to look at that, you would think, okay, they probably don't spend a lot on their hair. But for them, their hair is the one thing that they choose to make a priority in their spending because it's like the one thing that they do for themselves. So I think it's really important for us as stylists to not start judging our clients for how they choose to spend their money or try to control what they we think that we should what we think that they should be spending on their hair they yeah. are adults they can make their own decisions and removing that from the equation and i find a lot of times like in small towns specifically we've been taught especially throughout all areas of the beauty industry the best way to set your prices is to look what everyone else around you is charging and try to go based off of that the problem is the first person who set the prices in the area they had no idea what they were doing they just <laughs> yeah. picked some random numbers <laughs> and we've probably been following that same system of random numbers for decades at this point 100% and there's a reason we have some people still charging really low prices for their root touch-ups because we haven't ever been able to take a step back and actually look at things from more of a like numbers standpoint rather than the comparison standpoint. 
and really look at our personal numbers because maybe in my business, my rent might be lower than somebody in a bigger city. But there are also certain factors in a small town where your um, shipping cost to get your product delivered to you could actually be higher. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I used to always joke about how a tube of hair color costs the same price no matter where you live, which is somewhat true. But there are actually like a little bit of variation from one store to the next about what they charge for hair color. And I actually find that in small towns, sometimes the hair color can actually be a little bit. And depending on how remote your town is, maybe you're having to drive hours to the hair store to even get the product to begin with. So I think there are a lot of other factors that can adjust where our finances are going in our business. And so sometimes our overhead expenses aren't as much lower from somebody in a bigger city as we think they might be. That is such a good point. And with things like hair color and all of those things, like shipping costs get extremely high because they're heavy, right? So whether you are ordering something small or it's regardless of the direction you go and whether you're driving up to the store, or whether you are having it shipped to you, that those costs definitely add up. But I think, too, that typically we're driving longer to get to where we need to go. Or we have to make these even to go to education events, stuff like that. Education, that doesn't change in cost. And it's definitely usually more if you live in a small town. So I think that's a really good point and something that we only look at one factor sometimes because truly rent is probably the only thing, right? <laughs> That is less potentially your living costs, maybe, but like often I live in a small town and it in it is not that much different than living in a city. Often our property taxes are even higher a lot of the time. So it's really interesting when you break it down and when you actually start to examine it, it's is this the truth or is this just something I heard forever ago that I've decided must be true? <laughs> yeah. And I think there's no shame in like having based some of your business off of information that you've gotten previously, but then also being able to step back and be like, hey, you know what? Maybe that information doesn't give me the full picture and it's time to look at this through a different lens. I also know that growing up, we always had this thing in our heads that getting our hair done at a high-end salon in the city must be better because our yeah. prices are higher. And so we just had this thought process. If I want to do get my hair done really nice, we're going to have to drive to the city. Yeah. Whereas now, so many small town clients are leaving their small towns. They're driving to the city for the exact same hair service they could get in their hometown. But the yeah. problem is, A, they don't realize that stylists in their hometown are actually offering the same quality luxury yeah. service. Now they're having to spend higher prices for the service Mm -hmm. when in reality, they would be just as willing to spend the exact same amount for that service in their hometown, sometimes even more, because now they're not having to spend all that time driving to a bigger city to get their hair done. So it's like the time, the gas money, all of the commute. It just makes it so much easier if they can get that within their hometown and they're very appreciative of it. There are so many things, like you said, that aren't that different. And are you something like that's kind of food for thought is are you decreasing the perceived value of your work in the pursuit of staying, quote unquote, affordable? That's something that I, I think would be a really great takeaway 
to think about when you, if you are someone particularly that lives in a small town, is it that you are like, because obviously there's different markets and and from a marketing perspective, if you are trying so hard to be like the cheap or affordable option, are you alienating the people who are willing to spend the money? It's something to think about. Thank you for so much for being here, Casey. This has been incredible. Where can my listeners go to find out more about you? I know that you even have a new class all about pricing and a ton of really helpful information all over your Instagrams. Where can they go to get all that good stuff? Yes. So you can always find me on Instagram at Casey Taylor Stylist. And I have lots of fun things going on right now. So I have my small town price increase masterclass. So if you want to learn more about raising your prices in a small town and different ways that you can look at your pricing from a small town perspective, that is a great place to start. And I'm also going to be opening up enrollment for my group coaching program soon, the Small Town Stylist Collective. So if you are interested in getting some one-to-one help and also the support of a community and growing your business this year, this would be a really great place to get connected more. So yeah. All right. Thank you so much for being here, Casey. Thank you so much for listening in to another episode of the Hairstylist Rising podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you like, subscribe, and leave us a review. Be sure to check out our show notes for all of the links mentioned in today's episode. And if you want to get in touch with me and let me know what you're thinking, what you'd like to see on the podcast, or just share your favorite episode, send me a DM over on Instagram, either at Hairstylist Rising or at It's Jody Brown. I am so excited to see you back here, same place, same time next week. And until then, I am Jody Brown. I am your host and I'm signing off now. So thank you so much for listening to this podcast and we'll see you next week.